Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. There are two types of people in the world. A beloved teacher told me this, and I know it is true. Two types. Those who read the directions (laughs) and those who do not. And typically they marry one another. (laughs) Now I'm going to ask... How many of you here today are proud direction readers? How many of you here read the directions? All right. All right. We've got a good number. Direction readers are wonderful people. They buy the Ikea cabinet. They read every pictogram. They may even actually check, I have heard, to make sure that all the pieces are there before they start pounding little wooden pegs into Danish modern furniture. Now, let me ask the next question. How many of you are proud non-direction readers? (laughs) Non-direction readers are also wonderful people. They buy the same Ikea cabinet, throw the directions in the trash, and build it any way they want, or the way someone wanted it anyway. (laughs) Now, my late partner, Bonnie, was a non-direction reader. Directions are for quitters, she would say. And usually, this was immediately before she screwed the shelves of our new cabinet into something that looked like a triangle with three 90-degree angles. She didn't even get the idea of directions. She didn't want to read someone else's idea of how to do it. Whatever that was, she wanted to jump in. She could not bear to be still. Stillness, she would say, is vastly overrated. And then the handle would fall off the cup she was gluing because she hadn't read the part about adding the glue to both surfaces and waiting 10 minutes. She would figure things out by doing them 70 times or 85 or 185 until by sheer luck one of them worked. She learned by disaster, sometimes by gluing her coffee cup to the cat. (laughs) Yes, that one is true. Sometimes a few minutes of stillness can make all the difference. In August of 1952 at the Maverick Concert Hall in Woodstock, New York, something absolutely amazing happened. The audience was full of the local classical music community, including composers like Morton Feldman and Earl Brown, whose actual works were being performed there that particular night. Vacationing members of the New York Philharmonic were there mostly because they wanted to hear the new pieces by composer John Cage. And that's where it got interesting. For his second piece called Water Music, pianist David Tudor started a stopwatch 
sat down in front of the piano, closed the lid, and began a performance in which he did not play one single note. Four minutes, 33 seconds of silence. And eventually that became the title of the piece, Four Minutes, 33 Seconds. And I actually had the pleasure of being at a concert where it was played, not played. (laughs) It is an amazing experience. I laughed myself silly when I heard about what was going to be happening, and then I sat through it. Some people that night thought it was a joke. One tried to get the audience to throw the pianist out because he was so angry. But this was music for John Cage. It wasn't music that drew you in and made you focus on the sound. It was a zen musical experience. Every breath, every cough, the trucks on the gravel outside, the birds, everything became part of that performance. It made the audience actually hear every second. Can you imagine sitting there? It was the first time it was performed, so nobody knew what was going on. Sitting there in utter silence for four minutes and 33 seconds, hanging on every sound, waiting. Would a piano start? Would a voice start? Would there be noise? What was happening? Cage created four minutes, 33 seconds after seeing a huge all-white painting by his friend, the artist Robert Rauschenberg. And Rauschenberg's paintings never look the same twice. They are very carefully done. Some of you may have seen them. But the all-white one in particular, the strokes, it's done in heavy paint. So it never looks the same twice. A sunbeam changes the whole thing. Dust motes, the angle you're standing at. Every speck of dust, every bit of light stands out on that perfect canvas. They change every minute. And after Cage saw these paintings, he went within a few weeks and he experienced an anechoic chamber. And if you've never been in one, it is a wild, weird experience. They're used for acoustic testing. When you step in and they close the door, absolutely no sound penetrates. I got to do one in my undergrad. I got to sit in one for two and a half minutes. It was the longest two and a half minutes of my life. There is absolutely no sound Writer Will Hermes writes, in his famous collection of essays titled Silence, Cage wrote about that experience. And when he went in that chamber, he heard two sounds, one very high-pitched and one low. And the engineer on duty told him the high-pitched sound was his nervous system operating. And the low one was the sound of the blood circulating through his body. And that spurred an epiphany for Cage, one that would focus much of his musical attention on ambient and accidental sounds. Until I die, there will be sounds, he wrote, and they will continue after my death. One need not fear the future of music. Any sounds may occur in any combination and in any continuity. So Cage used stillness 
to give musicians permission to engage with sound in new ways. The most important piece in my silent piece, he said, I always think of it before I write the next piece. One critic called it the pivotal composition of the century. David Tudor, the pianist who played it that night, called it one of the most intense listening experiences you can have. So in stillness, he found music. Pico Iyer writes, going nowhere, as Leonard Cohen would later emphasize for me, isn't about turning your back on the world. It's about stepping away now and then so you can see the world more clearly and love it more deeply. The idea behind nowhere, choosing to sit long enough to turn inward, is at heart a simple one. If your car is broken, you don't try to repaint the chassis, right? Most of our problems, and therefore our solutions, our peace of mind, lie within. To hurry around trying to find happiness outside ourselves makes about as much sense as the comic figure in the Islamic parable who, having lost the key in his living room, runs out into the street to look for it because there's more light there. As Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius reminded us more than two millennia ago, it's not our experience that form us, but the ways in which we respond to them. A hurricane sweeps through town, reducing everything to rubble. One man sees it as liberation, a chance to start anew, while another, perhaps even his brother, is traumatized for life. There is nothing good or bad, as Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, but thinking makes it so. Now that's a big idea. Later in his book, The Art of Stillness, Iyer says, talking about stillness is really a way of talking about clarity and sanity and the joys that endure. When you listen to a piece of music you've never heard before, one that you really want to hear and understand, you don't start singing loudly over top of it. You don't become one with it. You allow it to happen. You learn by experiencing but not impacting it. You are, in fact, being still. How many of you have ever turn down the radio so that you can see better while you're driving. <laughs> Anybody had that experience? I need to pay. Stillness. When you rest in stillness, you notice the momentum of your habits and your urges, but you don't act on them. You experience the moment, the feel of wind on your skin, sounds you never noticed, what your body wants and needs, you are there, alive and receptive. Stillness is what makes movement possible. The actress Gates McFadden, who some of you may know as Dr. Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation, and some of you may know as the choreographer for uh, some of Jim Henson's work, she studied with a choreographer named Jacques Lecoe in Paris for years. He made them study mime so that they could later learn how to speak. He made them sit still, sometimes for hours, 
so that they could learn to move their body in space. Stillness gives something my friend Bonnie and her Escher shelves didn't have. Stillness gives perspective. It allows immersion in the moment rather than expecting you to act or to shape. It lets the moment be. It lets you hear and experience what is really happening. Whatever you can observe is not you. It has its own way of existing in the world. And when you're stilled and quiet, your understanding of the things you see in the world will blossom. Stillness speaks to a presence prepared to listen. Finding stillness in a noisy world lets you escape from the stress and struggle of having to do something every minute. Having to do something with every stimulus you encounter. Stillness lets you understand the truth in the world you're moving from and to differentiate yourself from the world. In stillness, all else falls away, and what you are left with is you. And in stillness, you learn who you are. And you learn that you are perfect enough. And in stillness, you are whole. So I say this to you with love, peace, peace, be still. Amen.